Welcome back. I hope everyone's full of coffee and biscuits and ready for an interesting second session. Uh, I'm Eleanor Pritchard, the student chair this year at OTJR, and it's a great pleasure to introduce the second panel of today's colloquium, uh, which will be looking at the ways of knowing transitional justice after serious human rights violations. The objective of the panel, as your program says, is to exchange information and interrogate the practices and underlying epistemologies of legal and non-legal responses to serious human rights violations. So we've got a fantastic panel to talk to us about this today. Um, I'd like to first introduce Emery Corgier, who's the Chief of Situation Analysis Section at the International Criminal Court, um, following a previous life as an academic, and he's going to be giving a paper on the ICC Office of the Prosecutor's Way of Knowing Crimes and Fighting Impunity. Then we have um, Stefan Parmentier, who's Professor of Law and Criminology at the University of Leuven, and he'll be talking about responses to serious human rights violations and international crimes, how to collect information from the affected populations. And lastly, Tim Kelsall, who's a researcher for the Africa Power and Politics Program, affiliated to the Berkeley War Crimes Study Center, and previously taught politics at Oxford and also Newcastle. And he's going to be talking today about anthropology, politics, and the study of international trials. So we're starting a bit late, um, so we'll, we'll crack on quickly, and I'll hand straight over to Emily, please. Thank you. Good morning. First of all, I would like to thank the, the uh, organizers for inviting a representative of the, of the ICC. Um, I'm very delighted to be here. Uh, first of all, because as Eleanor mentioned, I used to be uh, an academic before, and then... Uh, I don't think it's working. It's uh, okay. So I have two microphones and two screens. I hope I will manage. Multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking. That's what we used to do. Um, so I was saying that I used to be an academic and, uh, and then I became a, uh, an analyst at the uh, Office of the Prosecutor. Uh, but I always enjoy the opportunities that are given to, to meet, to, um, to meet with, with academics and to take a break and take some distance and, and uh, hear from uh, uh, others' views, uh, perspective on, on, uh, on the work we do and how we can do it better. So the, the purpose of my presentation today is, is to focus on the uh, on the work of the of the office of the prosecutor, especially at the at the preliminary examination stage. I don't know if all of you know what the preliminary examination is, is about. That's right. So the preliminary examination is the stage immediately before the the um, opening of an investigation. And uh, why I decided to focus on, on on that issue specifically? Well, first because that's the main mandate of of my section, the situation analysis section. So I feel more comfortable to. To uh, speak to you about that, but obviously, if you have any questions or investigations, I'll, I'll do my best to answer those. But also because it is at this stage that the that the OTP, the Office of the Prosecutor, uh, first get gets to know uh, of crimes that have been committed or, or that are still being committed. So uh, I would like to explain to you at the same time uh, uh, why we decide to look at certain situations and not others and what are the criteria that we follow for uh, opening an investigation, because I know that, especially in academic circles, sometimes it's, a, it's quite a controversial issue, so I would like also to bring you some clarity on our um, uh, selection policy. So there are three ways by which a, a preliminary examination is, is triggered, so three ways by which the, the, the prosecutor can decide to, to look into uh, a specific situation. This is what we call the, the, the triggering uh, mechanism. First, the prosecutor can decide on his own uh, to look into uh, a situation and assess whether the criteria are, are fulfilled to open an investigation. 
That's what we call <coughs> proprio two powers. So as soon as we hear of information suggesting that crimes under the ICC jurisdiction have been committed, we can, uh, uh, by our own uh, volition, decide to, to look more closely into the situation. Then, of course, we can be requested uh, either by the Security Council or by a state party to, uh, to open a, an investigation. And that's, this is what we call a referral. And such a referral automatically triggers uh, uh, a preliminary examination. And there is a third possibility that is given to states that have uh, signed the statute but not ratified it, uh, which is to lodge what we call a 12-3 declaration, declaration under Article 12-3 of the Rome Statute, to accept the jurisdiction of the court with respect to uh, specific crimes that the state has to, uh, has to, uh, has to explain. So these are the three triggering mechanisms of a, of a preliminary examination. Now, what is important to uh, understand is that regardless of the triggering mechanism, the criteria that we will uh, apply to decide whether or not to open an investigation are the same. So even if, if, even if the Security Council refers the situation to the ICC, we have to make sure that the criteria for opening an investigation uh, are, are met, and there is no obligation on our side to accept a referral, whether from a Security Council or, or from the state. There are three main criteria which are derived from the statute stipulated in Article 53, 53.1 precisely. One is, uh, the first one is jurisdiction, the second one is admissibility, and the third one is interest of justice. I don't want to go too much into the, the, the details of that. I can ask uh, re response to any further question that you, may, that you may ask, but basically these are the three main uh, criteria. In terms of jurisdiction, I want to emphasize that we have jurisdiction over the ICC has jurisdiction over war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. Full stop. So when we hear of serious human rights violations, it doesn't mean anything for us. It means something to the extent that these serious human rights violations amount to war crimes or crimes against humanity or, or genocide. Admissibility uh, is, uh, has two components, complementarity and gravity. And in a nutshell, that's the question whether the competent authorities, the national authorities, are already uh, conducted proceedings in relation to the crimes that we have determined fall under the court's jurisdiction. That's the complementarity principle. If the national authorities perform their duty, the ICC has no reason to step in. And the last one is the interest of justice. This is a bit of a controversial notion because it is not defined in the statute. Uh, so there's been a lot of discussion internally and, and externally whether the interests of justice include the interest of peace or are more closely close to the interest of victims. And the view that we have taken is that the interest of justice mainly uh, are about the, the interest of victims. So this is there are the three criteria that we that we have to look at, and we do that. Uh, in the course of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a filtering process, of a sequence process. So there are different phases. Uh, phase one is about the communication that we receive. I'll come back to that later. Phase two is about jurisdiction. Phase three is about admissibility. And phase four is about the interest of, just, of justice. And it's only when all the boxes have been ticked that we can uh, uh, open uh, an investigation. If, we have, if the situation has been referred to us, we do the analysis and we can proceed right away. If we do, if we do the, the analysis on the basis of our proprio motu powers, then we have to seek 
to seek the uh, authorization of the of the pretrial chamber. But in, in any event, regardless of the situation, the, the, the criteria are are the same. So currently, we, uh, as you probably know, the, the ICC has open investigation in seven countries, but there are also seven other countries that are under preliminary examination. Afghanistan, Colombia, Georgia, Guinea, Honduras, Korea, and Nigeria. And uh, the analysis with respect to this situation is at different uh, phases, as you can see. So with respect to Afghanistan, Honduras, Korea, and Nigeria, we are mainly focusing on the subject matter jurisdiction and trying to determine whether crimes under the court jurisdiction have been committed. This is a determination that we have already reached with respect to uh, Colombia, Georgia, and Guinea. And what we are currently doing with respect to this three situation is to assess the, the national proceedings that, uh, that, have, that are being uh, carried out. So this is, uh, these are the same countries that we have identified on, on the map. So uh, uh, it's a side note, but as you can see, for those who believe that the ICC is, uh, uh, is targeting Africa, this is not exactly true, as you can, as you can realize by, uh, by yourself. And then, um, then the question is, uh, once we have, this is the, the legal framework that we have to work in. So the question is what, how we manage to get information on crimes at the preliminary ex examination stage and later on at the, at the investigative stage. In fact, the, the, our powers at the, these two different stages are quite uh, limited. Uh, with respect to the seven countries on the preliminary examination that I've mentioned, for instance, we cannot uh, take uh, statements from uh, witnesses. This is a typically investigative activity that we have no mandate to carry out at the pre-examination stage. So what we can do and what we are doing to gather information on crimes to assess whether the criteria are met, well, obviously we can use all information provided by open sources. Uh, that includes uh, especially the reports from from NGOs, whether domestic NGOs or, or international NGOs, reports from the UN or reports from other international organizations. And one type of uh, report that is extremely useful for us are reports generated by, uh, by uh, commissions of inquiries. So for instance, in the case of Darfur, as you know, there was a commission of inquiry that, uh, uh, and, the, and the material of this commission of inquiry was transmitted to, uh, to DOTP. We got nine boxes in one day, and this was very useful to, to, um, to, uh, um, to proceed at the laser stage with the, with the investigation. There are other commissions of inquiries that have been set up in, the, in, the, in Guinea or, or the Waki Commission in, in, in Kenya, and all of this material, especially when it is generated at, at the pre-examination stage, is very uh, useful for, um, for our purpose. Um, another type of information that we use uh, are what we call Article 15 communications. Article 15 relates to a provision of the statute that uh, uh, enables anyone, any of you, any organization or any, any state to provide information on crimes that the sender believes may fall under <coughs> the court jurisdiction. So it's a, it's a way of, of obtaining uh, confidential information uh, uh, on crimes. Uh, then, of course, we can, even though we cannot take uh, statements from witnesses, we can perform field missions, and we do. In, in most of the countries I mentioned before, we, we have uh, visited them uh, once or, 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 or several times. 
So with the field missions, um, during this field mission we can meet with victims without again having a, uh, having a separate interviews where we can meet with victims, we can meet with local NGOs. Obviously we meet with, uh, with the state authorities and we try to, uh, to, to gather and verify information on, on, on crimes. We can also at this stage send requests for information to, uh, um, to, uh, to states or to organizations. But the purpose of this request for information is not so much to collect evidence, this is something that is for the next stage, but to help us uh, assess the, the credibility of the information that, is, that has been sent to us or that is already in our position. So if there is a report from, from, a, um, uh, from a UN body, for instance, we only have the report, uh, we can send a, a, a request to that UN body in order to get access to the, to the supporting material to discuss with the, 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 the researchers who have done the work. And that way we can assess their methodology and assess their credibility. It's off again. No one told me, eh? <laughs> uh, so I said the credibility of the information that we have. And, um, and last thing, we have the possibility, it's, it's quite a, 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 an exceptional circumstance, but to, to take testimonies, but only at the seat uh, of the court. This is something that we have done on a, on a couple of, um, of occasions. So this is all what, what, what we do, all the activities that we perform to get to know of crimes uh, that have been committed or that, or that are being committed at this stage of the process. Then, um, as you can see from in the next, uh, then at the investigative stage, there are uh, uh, um, uh, many other activities that we can perform. I won't go too much into the details because Joanna has explained that uh, uh, very, uh, very neatly. So a number of activities that we can perform, take statements from witnesses and investigative missions, perform forensic activities, and we can also request send another type of request uh, to states or other other bodies, which are requests for assistance. The difference with requests for assistance is that they are sent uh, in accordance with Chapter Nine of the Rome Statute, which is about international cooperation. And the states that have ratified the statute have an obligation to respond to this request for assistance, an obligation that they don't have with respect to to request for for, um, for information. So, um, so there is there is quite a big difference between what the OTP can do at the pre-examination stage, where we gather information, and at the, at the investigative stage, where we actually collect uh, evidence. That's the main distinction that we do in our uh, in our jargon. Um, <clears throat> so this is this is an ongoing process. This this chart. Um, um, uh, summarizes uh, our activities, let's say, in the past uh, five or, 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 or six years. Um, the interesting trend is that, obviously, the jurisdiction of the court uh, is, is related to the number of states that uh, ratify the statute. And between 2002, uh, entering into force of the Rome Statute, and 2012, 10, 10 years later, the number of state parties have increased from 60 221 states, so it's an increase by 100%, which means that the, the jurisdiction of the, of the court has, a, has expanded uh, um, accordingly, and there are an increasing number of situations uh, that are brought to our uh, attention and, and where we try to assess uh, what types of crimes have been uh, 
have been committed. Obviously, there are also uh, something like 70 or 80 states who have not ratified the statutes yet. Uh, and even if serious human rights violations are being committed, like in Syria, for instance, there is unfortunately nothing that we can do about that uh, unless the situation is, is referred to the court by the, by the Security Council. Um, so, uh, I would like to, to conclude with a few um, um, policy considerations. Obviously, the purpose of a preliminary examination, the main purpose is to decide whether to open an investigation. The main purpose of an investigation is to establish uh, uh, the individual criminal responsibilities. Uh, but beyond that, the objective that we pursue, uh, and are also derived from the statute, uh, are first the prevention of crimes. That's why it's very important for us to get involved in a situation through a preliminary examination at, at a, a, an early stage as possible, because by doing this exercise, we also try to, to prevent uh, the commission of further crimes, and we do that by going public, by being as transparent as we can on this preliminary examination, by making statements, each time we open an uh, examination, or each time we have information that, that, uh, that crimes may be committed. For instance, in, in April uh, this year, we issued a statement uh, on the situation in Mali, even though formally we have not commenced the preliminary examination. So it's very important for, for this process is very important because of that policy objective of preventing uh, uh, further crimes. Of course, the more information we get, and the more uh, successful we will be in that, uh, in that endeavor. A second objective that we pursue is to encourage national proceedings. As I said before, the Rome Statute is based on complementarity, so we try as much as we can to encourage the national authorities to perform their primary responsibility to investigate and to prosecute. And the fact of opening a preliminary examination, sometimes, I mean, it has been proven, uh, has an impact in terms of, uh, of uh, encouraging the, the national authorities to investigate themselves. This is what has happened in, in, in Georgia, in Colombia, and in, uh, and in uh, uh, Guinea. And lastly, of course, the third uh, objective uh, uh, is, to, is to do justice to the victims. So already at the pre-examination stage, and furthermore during the, the other stage of the proceedings, we try to uh, listen to the victims, to give them a voice, to represent uh, 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 to represent the sufferings. Um, but with one limitation, though, is that uh, the focus of an of a investigation or prosecution is to establish responsibilities at the individual level. So even though we try, when we seek a warrant against an individual, to reflect through the charges, the different crimes, and the most serious crimes that the victims have suffered, ultimately we cannot we have no ambition to, to write the history of the conflict or to diagnose the root causes of the conflict. Uh, what we can do is, 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 is establish individual criminal responsibility uh, and bring cases, but we have no ambition to, to, to write uh, the, the history of a, of a given country, even though we, we contribute one part. I think this broader ambition is more uh, uh, the role of anthropologists, sociologists, academics, and, uh, and that's the reason why I will give you back the floor. Thank you very much.